You know, sometimes I mix up a desert with dessert. Mm, delicious. I don't know. That's a delicious when, when mistake I'm... to make. As long as you go the, the other way. Like, you don't mistake your dessert for a desert. You know how I remember, though? When I'm writing, I'm like, wait, which one is which? How do you do? What do you do? Dessert is the extra meal, so it gets the extra Did you know the average movie costs way more than you'll probably ever make in your entire lifetime? Movies are an expensive business, and when they crash, they crash hard. But why'd they fail? Was it bad timing, a bad film, or just bad luck? Let's take a look and try to see where it went wrong, if you could have seen it coming, and what wounds turned out to be fatal. I'm Matt. I'm Steve. And this... ...is the Autopsy Report. Do you think there's a treasure like that a treasure hunter would be after that'd be so controversial that even he would be like, ooh, actually, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to get that. You know, like if like in the beginning of the new Indiana Jones, they're like, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, we need your help. And he's like, what is it? Not short round. (laughs) And and, And they're like, Dr. Jones, you must help us find our salad gold idol. It was stolen. And they're like, oh. What, 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 what's so special about the salad gold idol? And they're like, well, you see, we, we, we made it by prying the cav- the gold fillings out of millions of slaves' teeth, and we melted it down over a fire of their burning bodies to make this <laughs> idol. And now we need it back. You think you'd be like, wait, what did you say? That was made of slaves' teeth over their burning, burning <laughs> bodies? <laughs> yes, yeah, so and we need it back. Well, I take issue with this right from the start. Is like, why would the slaves have fillings to begin with? Like, would they would they have been getting really good dental care? Yeah, they had a great slaves? they had a great health plan. <laughs> but I'm just like, there's got to be like a treasure that no matter the worth is like you got to you question it. Like if someone's like, hey, I know where there's an, a, a a ruby treasure. It's made of salad ruby. Right. But it was also the gas valve in the Auschwitz gas chamber. <laughs> and it's like, like, they wanted to turn that baby in style in a salad ruby. <laughs> are you going to go after that treasure? Um, I, I guess not. I don't know. But like, what are you going to do with the treasure? Because you could always like, you could always make good on whatever evil might have come from the treasure, you know? I'm just saying there's a line. I guess. Maybe. Maybe there isn't a line. Maybe some of these people... Maybe there isn't a line. I don't know. Like, maybe what people if, weigh in. What if, like, John Wayne Gacy had, like, a solid gold clown nose somewhere <laughs> in his Chicago house, buried under the house, buried with the bodies of the children that he murdered? They're like, he wore this as he cut into them. Right, yeah. I mean... I think my favorite of the little-known treasures that people may be hesitant about searching for is, uh, actually, is... It's in a museum, a very specific museum now. It's the prototype, the very first Hitachi wand. You know? What? The Hitachi magic wand used for female masturbation, Steve. Oh. Keep up. Okay, yeah. It's the very first prototype one. It's made out of solid gold, and it was owned by uh, Anne Frank, little known known fact. I don't believe any of this. And it was actually the real reason why uh, she was caught. They were like, shh, quiet. They're like, where's Anne? She's having some alone time right now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They're upstairs! Wow. 
Oh man, but yeah, yeah. Why did she have a Japanese-made product in in World War II Germany? Um, Silk Road. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Al Giardino speaking. Al, Sandecker. I presume you're on your way home with my boat. For you. Yeah. Where are the rest of them? Where are they? I have to put you on hold. I don't believe this is a normal shakedown, huh? We are looking for the doctor. Where are they? Where is the woman? I'm sorry, I don't speak English. <laughs> You are speaking English now. No, no. I only know how to say I don't speak English in English. Uh-huh. Al. Hi. Hold on. Are you all right? That was close. Yeah, it was. How are you? Glad I'm driving. Somebody, Hello. I am too. Rudy, I shot a guy with a flare gun. Cool. In 2005, Paramount Pictures thought they'd uncovered gold and were launching the next great Indiana Jones or James Bond action-adventure franchise by adapting the best-selling Dirk Pitt novels. It turns out, however, the decision was a failure to launch, and what they actually discovered or uncovered was fool's gold. Sahara is a half-treasure-hunting, half-wait, is this the beginning of a zombie movie? Adventure film starring pre-McConaissance Matthew McConaughey, pre-Oscar streak Penelope Cruz, and pre-Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica Rain Wilson. Also, Steve Zahn is in it, playing a Steve Zahn type. Or is it Zahn? I think it's Zahn. I think it's Steve Zahn. Sorry, Steve. Sahara, or is it Sahara? Sahara? Sahara. Do they ever actually say Sahara. the word in the movie? I don't remember that. Sahara. I feel like we're Sahara. in a catsup ketchup situation. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. With the pronunciation. Sahara is a is about Duke Pitt kicking ass and looking sexy as he tries to find an old Civil War ship filled with Confederate gold, which ironically wound up in Africa. <laughs> Meanwhile, Penelope Cruz has a doctorate in sexy and is looking into a plague in a storyline you might secretly hope is a zombie plotline, but it totally is in a zombie plotline. No siree, just good old-fashioned evil black African warlords and greedy white corporate businessmen in this film. Action and adventure ensues, and eventually our two sexy stars, featuring Steve Zahn, wind up in the desert that the whole movie is named after because calling it Dirk Pitt in the search for the white men's gold probably didn't test very well. So Steve, what did you think of Sahara or Sahara? Well, um, I didn't necessarily hate it as much as the last films we've done. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely has a lot of problems, though. Uh, but uh, it's not... Not a complete trash pile? It's not a complete, like, flaming garbage heap. Um, but it's also, like, just kind of ridiculous. And also, I don't buy into Steve Zahn as an action star. Because he kind of is in this... <laughs> Yeah, he does. He does more than you think a, a Steve Zahn type uh, yeah. would be able to. Totally. Um, yeah, I agree. It wasn't. We'll get. We'll break down the movie, of course, more later. But it wasn't a terrible movie. It wasn't a great movie. It was a very forgettable movie. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I guess you 
could argue is worse. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know, at least a, a terrible movie leaves you like, what the hell did I just watch? And you laugh and stuff. But this also, I don't know. I guess it was kind of boring at times, but it wasn't as boring as stealth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was not. It, did, it was tedious at times, but there was a lot of action and... McConaughey, man, he gave it his all. He he was he's he was charisma in it up. He really tried. Sun sun tanning every chance he got with his shirt <laughs> off. I think he was just born that tan. I mean, he is from Texas, so that's, he just came out that way. That's that's probably correct. <laughs> that's how that works. <laughs> Measure and record the weight and height of the victim. Coming into this film, uh, Sierra Sahara. Now I'm all fucked up on that. Didn't have a lot of pieces to really build high expectations like some of the other films we've covered. Um, yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah, the, the director who's a, a Breck Eisner, he he was a commercial director actually, um, and he had a lot of success for commercials. Obviously, since that's uh, since he was able to cross over, and uh, he directed a, an, an Invisible Man TV film. Uh, it was a TV film. For Sci-Fi Channel about the Invisible Man, that should just not that should disqualify you right there. A sci-Fi original, Sci-Fi original <laughs> after a successful career of commercials. Yeah, Steve. but a Sci-Fi original. <laughs> and then after that, though, he he brought it up a notch. He went from Sci-Fi original to straight to DVD. <laughs> I don't know if that's going up or down. <laughs> with two th- in two thousand three, maybe, maybe lateral with the movie Thought Crimes. Thought, thought Crimes. That sounds fun. When you think about crimes, you're arrested for talk crimes. I don't know if that's the plot. Uh, feel like free to tweet report. me with what yeah. the real plot is. Yeah. Uh, and I will for those it. of you who've, who <laughs> who fished thought crimes out of the dollar bin at Walmart, uh, please let us know. For those of you who worked at uh, Family Video or Blockbuster in 2003. Uh, yes. We do have at least one listener who's worked at Family Video. I know that. He knows who he is. He knows. <laughs> he should be ashamed. <laughs> Anyway, it's so not then, as ashamed as the people who went to the porn section. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have that at family video. It's a classy point place. They it's do have families. it at family video. It's just blocked off. Really? Yeah. No, it's, it's in the back corner. Some family video, my ass. Hey, the adults want to rent movies too. Go get yourself a free kids movie. Dad is going to the special place <laughs> in the back. Um. Anyway. So anyway. So anyway, we have Brick. Brick. Breck, Breck. What the fuck kind of a name is Breck? It's by the really. Way? We get into that. I keep getting hung, hung up on. <laughs> we got a lot of weird names in this. We got Dirk Pitt and Breck Eisner. Breck Eisner. And so you can't pronounce Sahara. Sahara. All right. So Breck's coming off a straight to DVD release. All right. And then along comes Paramount, and they're saying, "Hey, let's give this guy this movie. Well, and give him an outrageous budget. Was it Paramount or was it was it Clive Cussler?" The author of the novel Sahara, who's he is, has a few Dark Pit novels. Apparently, they're very a lot successful. Yeah. Um, he, because so I think that's part of the part of the problem. We'll get into later in the movie, but he had like some say in in who would direct and all of the creative stuff because he had uh, one of his other books, Raising the Titanic, was made into a movie in 1980, hmm. and it did not do well. And he hated it, and he like refused to sell the rights to any other books until 2003, I think, when uh, this like 
billionaire guy was like, hey, I want to make this movie. I want to invest. And I don't know, he convinced Cussler to get the rights, but Cussler was like, oh, I want all this creative control. And apparently... Um, he did. I mean, that'll that, that come up later in, yeah. in what, how that p- control, but he did supposedly have a lot of sex. So I think that's part of why... You think that he wrecked. specifically was like, hey, I saw your Budweiser commercial. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he had saw, one of the good ones. When saw they invis- used to do good commercials. Saw Invisible Man on Sci-Fi late one night when I was high as <laughs> shit. Loved it. I don't know. Got a movie for you. I maybe maybe he thought like he would be good to like keep him under his thumb a little bit. Maybe. But they did have uh I think Rob Bowman or there was there was another director that was involved, but then like Custler kept saying how much he hated all of his ideas and he's like, Yeah, I'm out of I'm out of here. But it is ballsy of Paramount and this the the producer who was who was backing a lot of this. Um to, to give that kind of budget. To be like yeah, sure. Take all the money to go, um, hmm. go make this movie. Matthew McConaughey, and in this point in two thousand and five, was in no place either to demand uh, high expectations leading up to this movie coming out. I mean, this is well before the McConaughey we know now mm-hmm. in the McConaissance. Um, in fact, Wikipedia, which I love this, has <laughs> this period of McConaughey's career classified as the romantic comedies in leaning posters yes. years. Yes. Which I think is not the best way to describe 10 years of your life <laughs> right, where they yeah. say the leaning poster years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, other other top-billed actors uh, and actresses in this movie, uh, Steve Zahn and Penelope Cruz, were not exactly beacons of success either. Um coming to this point uh cruz had yet to kind of get her hot streak going mm. uh which comes later uh and steve zahn is is he's steve zahn i think it's steve zahn. zahn yeah steve zahn is steve zahn yeah and, and i mean he's he's uh he's just doing his thing and i like i like i like you steve i do steve zahn oh me um, or no no oh. yeah you oh. i don't like you damn it <laughs> um but it's not like steve zahn's face on a poster is exactly gonna sell a movie yeah, no. Uh, is his is his face actually on the poster though? That's oh, it is. Look at that. He's on there. All all three of them are on there. If anybody um, links this to Steve, because they're like Steve, these fucking nobodies are trash talking. <laughs> uh, I just want to say personally, Steve, no offense. I like you. And when are we gonna get that Saving Silverman sequel? Yeah, really. That's what the people want. Yeah, they want Saving Silverman again. On the leading up to this film coming out. Um, like they didn't really have a lot of star power, like we've seen other films we've we've looked at. They didn't really didn't have a director that had a hot streak going. So the only thing that I could think of, expectation wise, is Paramount must have thought they had good material here in the Dirk Pitt novels. You know, they must have really thought they had an adventure series just waiting to kick off and be the next uh, James Bond. Yeah, that's really what they wanted it to be. It was another James Bond, but more a little bit more family friendly, maybe was part of the push. I guess what you're looking at, unproven director, lack of star power, you know, screw that, I'll be damned, we're going to give this movie a good budget and it's going to be carried on the adventure formula alone. God damn it, we have a property here. Paramount um, was so hell-bent on this property being the start of something, but I think in reality, Steve, you could say that Paramount's uh, vision was... Dazed and confused. Oh boy, here we go again. 
The people at home cannot see how much I'm shaking my head at all these puns. The intact carotid arteries can be seen after removal of the tongue and neck organs. How did this movie really fare, Steve? Uh, it did not fare well. Um, well, that's not that's not even fair, I guess. Uh, it fared okay in in like relative to when it came out. It did, because this movie came out on April eighth, two thousand five, and it opened in first place with eighteen million dollars. Like, all right, all right, and, and it beat out. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Oh, I need that on the soundboard. Yeah, you some fuck that up. Damn. So yes, it opened first place uh, to eighteen million, beating out Sin City by uh, four million dollars. And Sin City was in its second week at this time. Um, it also beat out newcomer Fever Pitch, uh, which is a rom com starring Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon, which is oh, yeah. third. I remember that? But yeah, it was a special because it was about the Red Sox always losing, but then the Red Sox won the World Series, so they like. They reshot the ending at the actual World Series game on the field when they actually won. It was kind of weird. I never actually saw the movie, though. Well, way to go. You're the reason why it did not do better yep. its opening weekend. My $7.50 that weekend really, really tanked it. So, yeah, I mean, this movie opens in first, like, uh, beating that competition there. And then in its second weekend, Sahara dropped to second. Uh, and it was beat by the debuting Amityville Horror. And, oh, yeah. it, and it earned, but it still earned 13 million in its second week in Amityville. Meanwhile, earned 23.5 million. So it was pretty, pretty big gap between one yeah. and two. But I just think it's important to point, point out that unlike uh, other films that we've examined, uh, Sahara hung around in the box office. Yeah. And it performed like something I think you'd expect. Like I said, first week and first, second week and second, third week and third, fifth week and uh, fifth in its. Wait, I fucked that up. <clears throat> Third in its third, week three. Fifth in week four. Mm. Seventh in week five. And then it dropped out of the top ten in week six. And then it, uh, and in that time, uh, it dropped under one million in week seven. Stuck around. But it was in stuck around for ten more weeks after it went under a million. And I just think it's a fair point. I want, I want to point this out. Because this film would stick around in the theaters for uh, 17 weeks. And I know in the past when we've talked about some of these other movies, we've talked about maybe if they would have kept these f- films in theaters longer, they would have earned more. But it's kind of like a, well, that doesn't necessarily work that way kind of look. Right. With Sahara, this it stuck around 10 weeks after dropping below a million. And in that 10 weeks, if you add it up, it only earned about $2.6 million mm. in 10 weeks. I don't know. It's just. A, I think it's a nice counterpoint to us because when you could just say, "Well, just stick it in theaters longer," because I don't know the cost of keeping it in a movie in theaters. Well, the other thing though is that it's not really up to the studio per se of if it sticks in theaters. The the theater chains have their own film buyers who decide, "Well, hey, I want this movie in this many of our theaters because I think it'll do well, and I want it in these certain theaters because like the audiences will be different from this." So apparently somebody thought, well, maybe we can keep it in theaters. Which makes me wonder if the reason it did stay so long is because the guy, the producer um, that was backing most of this film actually had originally invested in the Regal theater chain. The Regal theater? Yeah. And I wonder if it was like, because if he was still involved with Regal, 
that maybe they stayed in it stayed in regal theaters longer maybe, maybe than it had some have. pull yeah well i mean it could be but either way i mean it didn't help they tried to they tried to keep this bad boy in theaters and like some other bombs that we've looked at and you know it only made 2.6 within in 10 whole extra weeks and it just wasn't enough to cover the gigantic gap that it needed to make for that budget cuz what was that budget that this movie needed to make well i guess it depends on the sources yes, right it does. so either 145 million or 160 million yes according to the numbers this movie had a budget of 145 million dollars but there's a really good uh a really good article the la times did which i happened to find um and it was from 2007 this article the la times did and they actually got a hold which of um the line budget and the and a bunch of financial documents for this film. And according to that article and those documents, this film actually cost $160 million. And that's not even including what they said was $81 million in, distrib- in distribution expenses. Mm. So this movie could have stayed in freaking theaters for 50 weeks and never gotten <laughs> close. To get that money back. $15 a weekend from Clive Cussler and Breck Eisner going to the movies every week. Ultimately, this movie would end up making about $68.5 million domestically. And for a worldwide total of $121.6 million. Well below the $160 million budget. Removal of the tongue should be performed in every medical... Before Sahara became a ghost of girlfriend's past. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm going to stop those now. That's a quality. That's a quality McConaughey flick, by the way. <laughs> Not true, actually. <laughs> so uh, let's, uh, let's take a look closer at this movie, kind of go through the movie now. We'll break it down so we can all understand exactly what we're talking about before we get into, you know, what went wrong. We, we start off the film with this scene in the 1919... 19, uh, in the old 1900s, the 1860s, when the Civil War took place. 1984, in the middle of the Civil War. Uh, Steve's really reaching to remember his history yeah. lessons right now. Uh, well, it was like 1865. It was like the end of the Civil War. and they're, Where were they even fleeing from? Where was the boat fleeing from? I didn't actually remember i don't know it was 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 it in the mississippi or was it in virginia somewhere like in the river i don't know but it's like this metal steel it's an ironclad yeah ship from the civil war we start on this ironclad ship escaping from the union and it's like they're all shooting at it and then it just kind of shuts all its ports Mm -hmm. and it just kind of disappears into the mist because it's so smoky because they're firing all these guns and cannons uh, and then, and then we cut from this old ship to a beautiful scene where we have our titles over a decorated room. We fly around. And important to note, note that in this opening credit scene, where it's like just showing this guy's room full of clippings of his success, so we could get an idea of who this these guys have a, a history of uh, salvaging in you know old ships and yeah. gold and finding treasure. Um, there's nobody in this room, right? Right. And there's open flames <laughs> left on, like like bubbling some water and some. Maybe they're little, just <laughs> like next door. They were like out on the. They're outside. It's, it's too nice. 
Well, I don't know. Don't ruin the aesthetic of the <laughs> opening shot. It's just like, what? These, hey, you guys left open flames on. <laughs> what? Don't want to burn all these newspaper clippings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus these Christ, It's really buddy. important to you. So Sahara really begins, though. We fly over to, to, to Lagos is where this movie starts. Yeah. We're, we're back in the present now, and we, we're introduced to Penelope Cruz's character first, who's a sexy doctor. And uh, she's looking into a plague that's spreading. And uh, it's like, once again, it's not a zombie movie. And we kind of wish it was, because these guys have some creepy zombie eyes going yeah, on. Yeah, no, this the, plague. the plague is the, it's what it turns out to not be a plague. But it, it's really, like, pretty gross. Mm. But also, like, she's pretty nonchalant about it. Yeah. She's like, oh, look, plague. Cool. I think it's a plague. Let me, uh... She sits there in her, like... No gloves and no face mask and just like an open shirt on. Like, oh, yeah, I think it's a plague. Let me just sit here and breathe around these people a little longer. Let me just lick this person's wounds. <laughs> yeah. well, let me taste it. Make uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Tastes like a plague. <laughs> Definitely a plague. So she goes to, she's looking into this plague and then we get a very brief shot of McConaughey like fishing in the water next to a lighthouse. And, uh, with a spear gun, of with, course. With a spear gun. And that's, that's foreshadowing. That's what we call foreshadowing <laughs> in the biz. <laughs> and then, um, so then Penelope uh, gets jumped by some bad guys who don't want her looking into this plague. And uh, we're introduced to uh, a bodyguard character who will come up a few times throughout the film, who I like to call Piercival. <laughs> Piercival? What about you mean Percival, right? No, Piercival. Oh, because Piercival. he's often shown in this movie peering at people from a distance <laughs> creepily. And so it's like uh, Percival, okay. but he likes to peer. Yeah. So it's Piercival. I bet that's what Cussler was going for if he, <laughs> if he actually gave him a name. Oh, uh, yeah. Tweet us at AT Report. Is that. AT Report Pod. <laughs> right. at, if, you're, if you're a fan of the novels and tell us what this character's real name was. And I'll tell you, it is now Piercival. <laughs> So anyway, um, we get our intro, our true introduction to McConaughey when he emerges shirtless and dripping from the ocean to uh, to save this uh, to save Penelope Cruz from these goons, and he beats him up, and he's just, and then she looks up at him, he's all like, "Hey, I'm sexy." And she passes out. <laughs> yes, she passes out from the sexy, not from the attack. <laughs> not from the attack. Not from getting choked out. Yeah, as she's overcome by this this dripping naked, nearly naked man. Um, and I think it's funny to point out that uh, not long after this introduction to McConaughey's character, uh, we're introduced to S- Steve Zahn's character. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and it's a dramatically different introduction. <laughs> <laughs> where Steve Zahn's character is introduced covered in oil with his bare butt crack mm-hmm. thrust up into the yep. air. He's like working on an engine or working on something and he doesn't know Penelope Cruz is behind him and he's like asking for tools and she hands him things and... Just total plumber's crack going on. Could you guess which one's the sexy yeah, lead like, and which one's the we comic gotta make relief? sure there's no chemistry at all between those two, <laughs> just so everyone's clear about who's got the chemistry in this movie. No offense to Steve Zahn, but I think without having his ass crack out, I think everyone would have gotten which one she was going to go after. <laughs> oh, but thanks, you went too far. Thanks, Steve. Dirk. Don't, don't listen. Don't listen to this, Steve. Other Steve. Or thanks, Breck, not Dirk. <laughs> Thanks, Breck, for that one. Or Clive, or whoever the hell. Whoever of the 1,300 people that were involved in the story that uh, decided on that one. 
I also thought it was a, a funny point to bring up that when uh, Penelope Cruz wakes up, she's on a Dirk ship or the ship that Dirk works on. Mm-hmm. And there's also news clippings of Dirk's success, but it is, it is a different room than the montage in the beginning. Was it a different room? It was. It was because oh, it looks smaller. Okay. Maybe somebody will tell me I was wrong, but I'm pretty yeah, sure it was know. a different room. But I just like to imagine that Dirk travels everywhere with a bunch of newspaper clippings of his success, and he just sets them up in places where he's staying. Well, but I mean, <laughs> this this ship is like one they work off of all the time, right? So maybe he's got like a home. He's got home a home office, clipping. Home clippings, and he has copies that he takes on the road and leaves <laughs> and in the boat. His mobile office clippings. Just for, you know, the women that he rescues that pass out, and he has to leave them in his room. They wake up and see, oh, man, this guy's a stud. He's done all this stuff. This guy's done a lot of stuff in his life. Uh, so Sahara, get, when we get into the movie, there's there's two main plot threads that mm. we're going to be following throughout the movie. One is that McConaughey uh, wants to find... Uh, the 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 old missing boat that we saw in the beginning because mm-hmm. that boat mysteriously disappeared. Um, and he, and there's he thinks it ended up in Africa. Yeah, but he has no proof. There's rumors that they sailed that boat all the way across Africa. And then the second plot line is, of course, um, Penelope Cruz looking into this plague. Mm. So to kind of kick this 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 action adventure thing and to get it rolling, uh, Dirk finds a. He's ends up he's finds out that someone found an old Confederate coin, and someone comes to him and says, "Hey, we found this old Confederate coin up to the the Niger River," and uh, he he asks his boss, and they give him seventy two hours to go up the river so he could look into this because he thinks, "Oh my God, this is this is proof that this boat really got to Africa, and it's going to be full of of treasure if I could get find it first, and I, and I could finally prove that I'm not crazy because everybody thinks that he's crazy." <laughs> That this ship is all the way in Africa, and uh, so then Penelope Cruz's character says, "Hey, since you're going up the, the Niger Niger River, is it Niger or Niger? I think it's Niger." Well, thanks for correcting me. Yeah, well, I just thought you're on a roll there. <laughs> I couldn't couldn't stop you. So she says, "Hey, you're since you're going up the river, do you mind dropping me off in Mali because uh, the plague's spreading up there, and we want to look into it." <laughs> Hey, you're going up. Uh, yep, going up towards that plague. Let me go with you. <laughs> you might drop me off. Closer. At no point, it was like, oh, hmm, maybe I don't want to go up towards the plague. Well, to be fair, she works with the World Health Organization. Yeah. So she hurts her job to look into the plague. No, she would want to, but like maybe McConaughey is like, oh. you know what? Maybe I don't want to go look for this. Nah, but no, either. this is life work. That's he true. Want, he's got to find the Confederate he's obsessed treasure. With the Confederate boat in Africa. So uh, then we kind of get introduced. We get some our bad guys of this film. We have two yeah. bad guys. Yeah, they work together. We, yeah, we but got against each other, but together, just like all your relationships. Oh, <laughs> we got evil African warlord countered with evil white man who owns a corporation and is super greedy. Yes, the the classic one two punch. Yeah, and uh, so. They find out that this 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 woman doctor is looking into the plague, so they're like, "You obviously have to kill her. Can't have people finding out about this mm. plague." That I really take issue with that whole concept. Kind of, I don't know, like what? Why wouldn't they just like want to fix the reason that everything's getting poisoned? Because they don't know, remember? Yeah, that's fair. But like when they do, why not just be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. Maybe we should just fix this so we can continue on with our." Because they're evil Plan. and they want to make money and they don't care about other people. Yeah, but I mean, everyone else—they all, they all would have died eventually, right? We, yes, we'll get into <laughs> that. 
Because it jumps the shark a little bit. Later. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the the spreading scene. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, so anyway, so these goons come to try to kill the doctor, uh, and McConaughey has already dropped her off at this point. So they come, they come boating up there because McConaughey and, and Steve Zahn and Rain Wilson's with them at this time. He's like their scientist. Mm. They come boating up the river and they're like, "Hey, stop! We heard that you had the doctor with you. Where's the doctor? We need we need to find her." Mm-hmm. And then I don't remember why, but for some reason they're like, "Just start trying to kill them." Yeah, I don't they start trying to kill McConaughey and them. I don't remember if like I don't remember it's instant or if McConaughey and them they do something. Oh, because don't they like tell them to stop and they gun it or something? Yeah, I think so. Like they they know it's no good. Yeah. To be fair, it and is a gunboat. And then more boats. boats show up. Yeah, it is a gunboat. Yeah. It has a giant machine gun on right. the front, and you're in a country controlled by an African warlord. <laughs> yeah. Then more gunboats show up. And there's a big action scene, and yeah, and uh, McConaughey and them uh, escape, and they got to blow up their boat to do it. And what they call what do they call it? The Panama? The Panama yeah, move? Yeah, they were going to pan- do a Panama. Which did they ever really pay that off well? Like maybe if you read the books, do you do you know what they mean better? They, well, all he did is they're like, "What?" Rain Wilson's all like, "Why are you guys calling it the Panama?" And uh, and uh, they say, "Rain Wilson's an eighty-year-old man in this movie." <laughs> they say because they tried it in Panama, but it failed or something. Yeah, I don't remember. But this time it works. And then William H Macy, who plays the admiral, who's like their boss, who like owns the ship and whatever he's like oh they're doing a panama yeah because william h macy oh, if you're because we did not bring him up we did now. not he's he he's who mcconaughey works for and he's the one that gave them permission mm-hmm. to go up the river and look for this boat but he only gave him 72 hours so he's listening to him on like a, a satellite phone yeah. and he's hearing all this and he's like pick up the phone don't you blow up my boat yeah and then of course they blow up his <laughs> boat. boat is destroyed <laughs> yeah. so then uh mcconaughey and in in zahn steve zahn who's a by the way, they're like also ex Navy SEALs. We should probably point out. Yeah, but did they ever bring that up until like all of a sudden they're like really good at fighting and and guns and everything else? I think the only I think it's briefly mentioned later, and it's seen in the clippings in the beginning. Oh, okay. It's like you got to read those clippings. Man, man, I did not read those clippings well enough. <laughs> that was very important information in those <laughs> clippings. And so they send Rain Wilson back. They're like, "You go tell William H Macy what's going on. We're gonna go try to find the doctors." And then, so then we'll go back to the doctor, and the doctor also has her partner, a partner with her at this point, Penelope Cruz's character. Oh, yeah. And they're in some old town. Doctor, I know you're going to die eventually, but at what point will you die? (laughs) You're not on the the listings of the cast very (laughs) high. Yeah, you're not featured prominently anywhere, so I'm pretty sure you're going to die at some point for some reason. And you're right. This is the scene where he dies. (laughs) So they're investigating a well that's all, they're like, oh, my God. This well, somebody buried their own well. Why would they do that? So Penelope Cruz's character goes down this well to look into this well where this the plague has hit this town. They're all abandoned. And then, of course, while she's down in the well, the bad guys all show up. Yep. And they uh, and then they start shooting everybody. But she's down in the well, and they don't know she's there. And uh, she almost pissed me off a lot because, like, right when the shooting starts, she yells out. Mm-hmm. And, like, shut up. Though. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're a sitting duck down yeah. there. <laughs> but then she caught on and was and was being quiet after that and, and trying to hide. Um, But I did like the scene when the shooting first starts. She's down in the well. <laughs> yeah. And a hat comes flying <laughs> yeah. down. If so it's like... The just, one guy falls, like, right over the well. It, yeah, and his hat, and his hat falls. falls. 
And so she can see the hat, so she can know, like, oh no, obviously something's up. Otherwise, this guy, this is this guy's favorite hat. He wouldn't just <laughs> There's chuck a lot it down of hat the well. talk in this movie, there by the way. Yeah. So yeah, Steve Zahn's very upset yeah, when he's he like, loses oh, his I hat. I lost this hat, and then he loses another one later on. It's just like, it wasn't, I thought that scene with the hat falling down the well was going to be even more on the nose, and I expected like a smoking bullet hole. Right, in right. It. Just so she could really be sure. I was like, oh man, I didn't know. Those didn't sound like gunshots, but now I'm sure they are. (laughs) Just bloody hat. Yeah. I'm pretty sure things didn't go well for Bunzo up there. That's that guy's name, Bunzo. Bunzo, and that's not even close. But uh, yeah, I think, I thought it was kind of like, they're all standing around the well when they get there and they start shooting. And then the rope is down there. I thought that was a, a cool scene where the guy starts pulling on the rope and she's still tied up to it and she like has to quickly untie it from herself so that it just goes all the way up. Yeah, because it's so dark in the well. They yeah, can't, they can't. See she blocks it. out the little glow stick that they had down there. But it's like you would think to like maybe check that right away because they're all standing around the well and if you're looking for the doctor and you don't see her, like mm, maybe maybe she's down on the well, guys. And Did this rope? Like is no one has down. a flashlight either. Well, to be fair, they don't get a ton of time. That's fair. They do. They are about to shoot into the well just to be safe, and then yep. and then our heroes save the day. Yeah, they're McConaughey. Yeah, and uh, Steve Zahn show up, and they they uh, save the day. And that was actually the scene where I was like, "Oh, maybe they are like actually trained to somehow." You got to read the clippings. I man. know. I was because then they come in like guns a blazing, and then hand to hand combat and. And I was, that was the point I was like, I just don't buy into Steve Zahn as this sort of action figure. Like, I get him as the comic relief kind of goofy sidekick, but not also, like, the one who can, he, like, shoot a guy He does. He does run. a lot in this movie. He, he does. He does a lot. He does a lot of some action stuff, and he's not afraid to to, to literally charge a guy with no weapon. Yeah, right. His, his, I was like, his gun's out of ammo, and he just charges a sniper. So. And maybe if they didn't try so hard to make him be like the dopey sidekick and just made him as the actiony side, like maybe it'd be believable. But they, he plays so many of those characters of like uh, the comic relief that it's hard to separate it. So uh, moving forward, um, they McConaughey saves her. They eventually find uh, a leader of a resistance group because, of course. Even though there's an African warlord, there's always got to be another side, right. and there's a resistance people, and uh, they're in Penelope Cruz's tells him about the how she she knows there's this plague going on, so he's like, "Come, let me show you to my sick room <laughs> again. <laughs> Please enter to see all these sick dying people without any sort of covering." Oh wait, she put a glove on. Okay, yeah. all good. Hard cut to a room full <laughs> yeah. of a bunch of coughing sick people, <laughs> yeah. and it's like it's okay. They have gloves on. It's like oh, they're not, it only affects the Africans, not the rest of us. Like, what is like, what is what are you thinking? Yeah, I know you work for the WHO, so like, you should have some like common sense. To be fair, right after this, even though it doesn't doesn't uh, um, save any of their behavior, uh, we find out that it's not a plague. It's not a plague. It is water poisoning. But that still doesn't answer much because what exactly are they doing this whole time, as far as water goes? Like I never, you never see them like struggling for water or drinking water or doing anything. It's like, yeah, where like what are they drinking? They're gonna get poisoned too. Like how long does it take to get poisoned from this stuff? Is it real slow? So a little bit of exposure isn't gonna affect you. Like they never bring that up at all like, to yeah. any extent. Yes, because you find out that the, the the water supply is poisoned. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, you don't know what they're drinking. I guess they're just all drinking Gatorade, man. <laughs> 
They just shipped that was the product together. placement that got <laughs> cut out. Then when they're in this town, uh, they find um, an old, I don't know, I guess you'd almost call it like a cave painting. Yes. And in this painting, it depicts the old, the ironclad ship. Uh, and it shows the ship, the Civil War era ship, that it sailed up a, a river and then the river dried up because it was like wet season. And now it's like buried in the desert. So like now the two threads of that we said earlier, these two threads of this movie are starting to come together. So McConaughey's like, we got to go to this old fort that it, the, the 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 painting depicts the ship is next to in the desert, and they're like, maybe this is somehow tied to the poisoning. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know why if that's ever explained or if Mc, they, they think that these things might <laughs> no. be tied together. My thought was like maybe the ship. That's is leaching into the water. I was like, maybe and it's poisoning like, everyone, like, like iron or lead poisoning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, is that really where these are going to tie together? Because that's that's really, I don't know. That would have been. I don't know if I would have actually bought into that more than what actually was happening. But so then they finally go to the actual Sahara Desert mm. to find where the ship is, like supposedly in an old dried up riverbed. And while they're looking, like, while they are look, find this fort where the ship's supposed to be near, they see that there's a gigantic solar power plant out in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. And this is where the, the, the whole story starts to go a little off the rails. <laughs> yes, it does. You're like, whoa, now we have this whole new element coming into play. Right. And you find out that this giant solar panel is ran by the greedy white corporate guy who we had seen earlier, but we didn't know much about. Mm-hmm. He was the one that's like told the warlord they needed to kill the scientist lady. And then you find out the reason why is because his plant in the middle of the desert is the, is the source behind the poisoning because they have all the leaking fucking chemicals like, what is in, the, in the basement. What is the toxic, what is the waste from? Like, like it's toxic yeah. waste that they're, that they're destroying, like using the sun to burn it. And like, get like the solar panel they take the sun and then they heat it i don't don't know i was really confused i don't know what they but like where was the waste coming from for one like were they making i think it was it was i i assumed it was just it was just byproduct waste from a gigantic power plant yeah but they never talk about that and they never like they never say exactly what the toxic waste is from there's just a ton of it and then they're trying to destroy it but they can't destroy it all quickly enough so, so they, they store, store they store a bunch of it underground and it's leaking into an underground river that this white guy apparently did not know was there. Right. So he's like, I didn't mean to poison all of Africa. <laughs> and then and then this is when the it, it jumps. Yes. And this is the spreading scene. <laughs> right. This is yes. when it's like we didn't have enough stakes. It was like we got it. Like, I didn't believe Rain Wilson was a scientist before. I definitely don't now. <laughs> the the movie's like, we gotta crank the stakes on this bad <laughs> yes. boy. And then Rain Wilson who goes to William H Macy and he shows him the results of the of the his his computer simulation of this yes. poison spreading and it's like if we don't stop this poison it's going to spread from from the Niger River into the Atlantic and then it's going to kill all the sea life in the Atlantic and then spread to the whole world yes, because of the salt water it can't be stopped or something to that effect i don't know i don't know why it's like this was. one plant yeah. was somehow going to poison the entire world's ocean <laughs> everything but the, but the the map that he shows of the world like as it like leeches out 
and it goes into around Africa, and then it spreads, and it just <laughs> it spreads to the water around the entire globe. It's the stereotypical, <laughs> it's, like, it's going to spread around the entire yes, world. They're like, oh man, everyone's going to die. And you're like, oh shit, this just got real yeah. serious. <laughs> oh, so then our, our heroes get captured by, by the white evil guy. Um, and uh, the warlords like send them to me. But then he only sends Steve Zan, or Zan and uh, McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Yep. He sends them to the warlord to presumably die. But he keeps the girl. He keeps Penelope Cruz, and he tells the warlord that she ex- that she, oh she actually died in the crossfire. Right. Because he's a creepy fuck. <laughs> yes. And exactly. he just wanted to keep her because he's like, oh, she's sexy. I'm not gonna send her to die. <laughs> I'll keep her for myself. Which is what. So and then we get the our our two our two guys are getting transported to the warlord and they have an escape scene which I actually thought this scene was kind of fun. It was kind of fun actually. I mean it's uh very short-sighted. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's entertaining. That's the entertaining part. Yeah. So they're in the bag of a pickup truck and he uses the old uh the, the old uh civil war coin. Yeah. That he had originally gotten in the beginning as proof that the that the ship was out there, and he uses it to unscrew the bed of the pickup truck. Which it was like the yeah the insert into the back of the truck, and but why would it really be only attached by two screws, two sc- one on each side, like are easy <laughs> to take not. out with a coin? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. No. And screw two whole screws, yes. and then and then they kick the back of the truck, and the whole bed slides off as this truck's driving across the desert. Yes. The drivers don't notice because the driver is very talkative. Yeah, <laughs> very talkative. He's just talking to his buddy the whole drive, telling him his whole life story. Probably I don't know. It's noisy. It wasn't like a good truck, so the engine noise is probably loud. And then they're bouncing around. I don't know. I mean, I feel like you know, five hundred pounds of metal falling off the back of your uh, truck you might notice it when you're driving, but nah, who knows. Yeah, it's a sturdy truck. So, so then, so the the fun part of this, I think, is like is a sort of clever escape. But uh, then now they're stuck in the middle of the desert. Yes, handcuffed because they were handcuffed to the rail of the bed. So now they they're like, yeah, we're free from the truck, but we're still handcuffed <laughs> to the bed of the truck. <laughs> yes. So it's like a bunch of shots of them walking yeah. through the desert, just dragging the bed of this truck. Or the, like they them. had it over them at one point. It's like oh, that's smart, you know, shade yourself from yeah. the sun. It probably gets pretty heavy. And then they're just dragging it on these giant sand dunes, and that's the part where I'm like, all right, now they have no water. They've presumably not had any water for a while because we never see them drinking or eating or doing anything. And then, so like they finally get to that point of like, oh, we're gonna pass out from the sun. But then what? Then uh, they find a crashed plane. Yeah. Correct. Yes. That's where we are. Yeah. They find a crashed plane, and um, then they're like, so then they use the tools. There's a tool kit in the plane, and they use that to get themselves released from the the bed of the truck. And then Steve Zan is all like, "There's no way." That that plane is going to be flyable. What are you thinking? Which I don't think anyone ever had that thought. No, no one one was like, we're going to fly this plane to safety. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like half like see-through from it falling apart. And then we get a hard cut to maybe a famous scene in this movie. If there's a famous scene, I I would feel like this should be it. Yeah, I guess. Which is, they turn the plane, the broken crashed plane, into... What do you call it? 
like a windboard almost. Yeah, I mean like, it's you, like, like a, when you go windsurfing. Yeah, and they're they're using one of the plane um, arms wings wings. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. They're using one of the plane wings straight up in the air, and then the plane is a uh, it's got wheels. Yeah. And then it's just use they're using that wing as like a sail, and they're just cruising across the desert like they're windsurfing. Yes, and they're like, "Woo!" You know, having fun. We got yeah. some rock music playing. Yes, now. they do. And they're and we're wind sailing across the desert on a plane, and then uh, they crash into a. They find their way to a, like a gas station out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and they, and he trades the gold coin that he'd been carrying for the dude's jeep. Or vehicle, whatever right. it was, and then they they go cruising back to the the power plant because they got to save uh they got to stay save the sexy doctor. Always got to save the sexy doctor. Well, yeah, got to save the sexy doctor. I just the the plane sailing thing. I feel like that was as much of a jump the shark as the. This is going to poison the entire world. See, I can let the plane sailing go because it's like goofy and fun, but it wasn't like, my God, this whole world is in danger now. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, it seems so, I, don't, I just feel like they wouldn't go that fast is the, way, the way they were cruising. But I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a sailing expert, so, nor am I an expert on the winds of the Sahara, so. So anyway, let's try to wrap up this fucking summary. <laughs> they get uh, they get back to the plant. They find the whole plant is abandoned. The white guy is going to blow up the plant because to destroy all the evidence. And they're like, "Oh no, they're going to blow the plant up." So 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 Steve's on, he goes to find the bomb to stop the plant from blowing up. Why uh McConaughey goes to rescue sexy doctor. And of course, he finds them trying to escape on a giant tower that a helicopter is trying to fly away from. <laughs> and I just and, and this is when Percival shows back yes, up. Yes, Percival. You got to have that <laughs> that famous like the scene where the hero has to fight the the muscle. And and so she's a sexy doctor's in the plane, and they're I mean the helicopter. They're getting ready to take off. Uh, Matthew McConaughey opens the door, tries to pull her out. Percival, our, our our bodyguard who loves to peer at people from a distance, shows up and he punches Matthew McConaughey. And I just got to point out, like, the whole point of, like, super loyal bodyguards is really, like, it, this stretches it. This plant is about to explode. Right. And this bodyguard lets the helicopter fly away so that he can stay behind and beat up Matthew McConaughey. Like... You're going to die. Yeah, right. This plant is going to explode. Yeah. I don't care how much he's paying yeah. you. What's what is it worth yeah. if you're dead? That's a great point. <laughs> and it's just like, when he punches McConaughey, he could have easily punched him and then just got on the helicopter <laughs> yeah, and flew right. away. Yeah. Like, he stopped him. Good job. But he's like, no, I'm going to hang back and die for no reason. <laughs> Maybe he had the plague. <laughs> Maybe he was poisoned. And he's like, I have nothing left to live for. So then again, why would he be helping the guy that poisoned him? That's a good point. So the helicopter goes to fly away. Sexy doctor escapes the helicopter before it flies away. So the white guy's like, screw it. She was super hot, but I guess I'll just let her (laughs) die anyway. Yeah. And then, so they're fighting (laughs) and she helps, she helps McConaughey beat the, beat the bodyguard who gets kicked off the tower and and poor Percival falls all the way down to his death. 
And then, of course, McCona- and then meanwhile, Steve Zanzan uh, manages to find the bomb, stop the bomb, so the, the plant does not explode. And you're like, wow, what a climax. This movie's finally wrapping up. Not yet. That was not, <laughs> not the no, end. That was not the end. Because in the uh, meanwhile, the the warlord is on his way with like a whole a whole cavalry. damn army. Yeah, and you're like, shit, I forgot we had two bad guys. <laughs> so here comes bad guy number two. He's got a whole army. So they escape into the desert. Our heroes running back into the desert, and then they start they start blowing up some dynamite to try to get a helicopter because the the bad warlord's chasing them in a helicopter. They're blowing up dynamite to try to to try to make a bunch of dust. Uh, to hide from the helicopter. Is that what they're trying but to do? But also, yeah. the main reason is he he's pretty he uncovers the ironclad ship. That was really a good guess on his part. Yeah, he, he just had an idea. It was, it was in this cliff. Yeah, it's like uh, it's kind of the side of the mountain here, the cliff. Uh, just start tossing when I say. So now we finally have the payoff to the, the to him searching for the ship story. This old fucking Civil War era ironclad ship is buried in the desert they uncover it so then they hide in it because it has a bunch of iron they Mm -hmm. think it'll be safe but the helicopter's rounds punch right through it anyway so then they're like we gotta stop this helicopter and they wheel up a 150 year old (laughs) civil war era cannon yes they do and they find themselves some fuses and a fucking cannonball and you guessed it they're like, we gotta shoot this fucking helicopter right out of the sky. <laughs> I do, I do like how that played out because they they shoot the cannonball, and for one to be that accurate is just you know get fucked. But like they, they shoot it right through the windshield, and it just goes in and like lands in the back of the helicopter. And like the warlord guy's like, huh, all right. And you're like, oh, all right. I mean, yeah, they just shot a cannonball and it went through the window. I'm like, okay. But then it was like a special. Exploding explosive cannonball. cannonball that all of a sudden there's a fuse in it and then it all then it blows up and then the helicopter blows up and falls out of the sky and the, is that a thing is that a real thing was that a i am no cannonball that? expert but let me let me uh call a friend here oh okay boop, 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 boop. phone a friend that does it's not a phone who are you calling nobody okay <laughs> <laughs> i have no friends you have no cannonball <laughs> experts but the, the the thing that, that just annoys me about this whole payoff with this helicopter, it's like they go through all this. They're trying to like open the door. They're trying to find all the parts so they could finally shoot this cannon. Mm-hmm. And they and then they go to shoot it the first time. And the fuse or the little trigger falls off, so he has to like go and do it manually. Mm-hmm. And they finally shoot it, and then you think, oh no, it doesn't work. And then it does work, and you're like, yay! But then it all feels pointless because literally like 10 seconds after this helicopter is exploded by them shooting with the cannon. Mm-hmm. By the, the the whole rest of his army is out there. They have like, they have like at least five 50, tanks. fifty dudes, yeah. like several tanks, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but if we kill the guy in the helicopter, they'll all stop fighting. Which is, I'm like, why? Yeah, right. It makes no sense. They would still probably they kill you. The, they, they, don't they even say the guy you killed the snake? Yeah, you killed, cut the head off the snake. But I think they say they killed the snake, which they meant to say cut the head off the snake, <laughs> but they, nobody seemed to catch that one. So so yeah, then they blow up the helicopter, and you think okay, there's other people are probably still going to kill him if they're smart. And right. then, of course, the resistance army shows up. Mm-hmm. Like, hundreds of other soldiers. They are soldiers. good at just popping out of out of nowhere, though. Like, that first scene where they first meet him in that canyon, there's, like, one or two guys around, and then they stop, and then, like, they all just, like, pop out of nowhere. Yeah, they're masters of stealth. I guess. 
And, uh, but then it's like, cool. Yeah. So it's like kind of, you know, you get the stereotypical, oh, the army shows up just in time. So the, the, the bad army surrenders. But it's like, it also made the whole cannon thing completely pointless. Mm-hmm. Because, oh my God, if they would have missed that shot, mm-hmm. that army had a bunch of RPGs on them and they showed up 10 seconds later anyway. Right, yeah. <laughs> you would have been fine. <laughs> my thought was, though, like the, the tanks are shooting at the, the ship and they like miss a few times and they hit a few times. It's like, if you just had like three or four of your tanks all shoot the ship at once, you could just easily destroy the whole thing. It's not that big. It wasn't, uh, yeah, and it's, it's like, like 105. And then, then the warlord, like, calls everyone off. He's like, I'm going to finish this with my helicopter. <laughs> well, just yeah. to make sure that nobody else is going to try and, like, you know, actually destroy them quickly. That's because one of the ten fucking riders of this movie was like, <laughs> wait a minute. When did they just get completely obliterated in this ship? And they're like, no, he'll, he'll make them all stand down because he wants to do it himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brilliant. <laughs> In conclusion, they find there's a bunch of Confederate gold, of course. Yeah, so it's filled with boxes and boxes of gold. Filled with a bunch of gold, and they don't tell this. They they give the rest of the ship to the museum. They don't tell them about the gold and keep it for themselves. Happy ending for everybody. He gets the girl. He goes on a sexy beach trip with her. Yeah. And into the movie. But I just, I just, at the very, when they're in the ship, though, and, uh, they find, like, they're like, oh, my God, look, the Confederate treasure. It's here. And they open it up, and it's, like, all the Confederate gold. I just thought, like, how hilarious would it have been? And what kind of uproar? How many pissed-off people? After, like, look, the Confederate, long-lost Confederate <laughs> treasure. And they open the case, and it's full of participation awards and second-place trophies. Like, <laughs> you finished in second place in the Civil War. <laughs> Congratulations! The fucking like the whole movie was just a big troll <laughs> to like Civil War fucking fans or supporters of the Confederate. God damn it! Damn you, Sahara! <laughs> Fresh bite marks give support to the possibility that a seizure preceded death. We know all. Everybody knows all we need to know about the movie now. I think we we all know what happens in Sahara. Mm-hmm. Or Sahara. But uh, so now that we know that, let's talk about uh, what went wrong with this movie to uh, make turn it into the box office bomb that it became. A very bad box office bomb, too. I don't think we can say that it was competition like you could have with some of the other films we've done. Yeah, I, that's a, a... It did debut at number one. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a feat unto itself. Against uh, I mean, Sin City was only in its second week, and that yeah. movie did pretty well. I feel like th- th- that, it's, yeah, like that was a big movie. I know, at least I remember, me and my friends in two thousand five were all really into Sin City. Uh, and then the next week after that, what did we say? Anim- Amityville Horror. And you had out. Fever Pitch that was out, but that's not. That was kind of a a smaller film. I know in the third week it was uh, Nicole Kidman's political thriller, The Interpreter, I which remember. which came out, and that Sahara fell the third. But none of these movies are, are are stiff competition. And no, Sa- not at all. Sahara Sahara's still a movie that came. It did first in its first week, second in its second week, third in its third week. Um, I think isn't that how you kind of plan or hope things will play out? First, second, third. I mean, yeah, you would ideally, if you're the new movie coming out, like you think you'll be number one, right? Hopefully, 
Yeah. So I think it, I'm just saying I think it, it, you can't really blame competition because I th- and I think a big part of it is that this is April, mm-hmm. and in April movies don't perform like they do in summer. But I think for an April movie, it performed like an April movie. Yeah, but I this mean. movie needed to perform way more than that. It needed to <laughs> it needed perform to be like, like a blockbuster summer movie. Wasn't um, wasn't three hundred. Uh, April or March movie. That did it was like, a March movie. Okay, it had the record. Yeah, yeah, it had like the record for a while. huge numbers. So it would have had to have been like an exceptionally large uh, April movie to really perform up to what they spent on on this thing. Because all right, we talked about Sin City, Amityville Horror, and The Interpreter. Mm-hmm. Those are movies that came out all around uh, Sahara. Sin City earned seventy four million domestically. Amityville Horror earned $65 million domestically. The Interpreter own, earned $72 million. And this is compared to Sahara's 69 They're all around the same. Mm-hmm. It was performing like an April movie. The problem is, it, like I said, it needed to perform like a fucking summer movie. Yeah. You know, I feel like they asked a lot out of it. It did in line with what an April movie should have been. Yeah, and they they spent the kind of money on it that it was way too much for an April movie. And it was. And part of that, when we talk about that, that's when we come to what went wrong, obviously the spending. <laughs> and because we said that this budget was $160 million, but originally it was only supposed to be $80 million. Which would have been right in line with about... I mean, Sin City was estimated at $40 million. Um, but yeah, so if you'd done $80 million, you still do a decent amount, maybe. You, you make money. Yeah. This movie made what I think we said a hundred. It was a hundred and twenty something million worldwide. Yeah. So you know this is not a bomb if this was on right. budget. It's not necessarily huge either, but it maybe warrants them to do a sequel like they had planned. Mm-hmm. Maybe even a whole franchise. So when we talk about what went wrong, I mean, it's not competition like we've had. It's not. Uh, uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad movie. Because why the movie's not amazing, it's nothing terrible. Right. Um, so I think you have to look at the production and the expense and that got out of hand in this movie. And this is where it's going to get interesting because uh, in previous episodes, Steve, you have mentioned how you'd love to see budget reports mm-hmm. for movies. I'd love to see line item budgets. As someone who puts together line item budgets for films, uh, I'm always curious to see the big productions and how what they spend and how they do their thing but it's very hard to come across it is very hard to come across but for once we actually have access and information on this movie's budget but let's let's talk about why real quick uh because clive Cussler decided he needed to sue the producers (laughs) because he said they did not allow him the creative control that he wanted so in in filing the lawsuit um, a lot of this was like subpoenaed by the court, become public record, and mm-hmm. L.A. Times was able to get a hold of all of it and publish like the nitty gritty details of the line item budget, which is great for us. It's very great for us because now we could look at all kinds of crazy stuff, <laughs> and we could see when you're like, man, movies probably seem like they're expensive, but I wonder how much they spend on things. Mm-hmm. You're like, well. Did you know they spend over $100,000 in walkie-talkies? <laughs> because this movie did. 
Did you know this movie spent over $100,000 on bottled water while it was in Morocco? Because this movie did. I believe it. I mean, they, they shot for three and a half months in just in Morocco. And, and then they shot some in Spain and some in, uh, I think, the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have a, you have a very large crew of people. You got to spend money on that stuff. You got to spend money on skeletons, apparently, also. <laughs> a lot. Almost $17,000 on fake skeletons. And I, and I think those were just for the Civil War ship, I think. Were there skeletons anywhere else? I don't remember any anywhere else. I don't remember, yeah. I don't remember. Unless there's a scene. There were scenes that got cut. There was a plane crash scene they spent, like, what, $2 million on? Yep. That never made it into the final film? It was a 40-second uh, plane crash scene, and they cut it from the film, and it cost $2 million. So with all this information, and we t- we're talking about kind of get an idea of how this movie got completely out of control and it cost them this movie everything oh uh, let's dive into some of that because i think there's some fun stuff here yeah. we, don't, we normally don't get to look at this kind yeah. of stuff so this this document this financial document the la times got a hold of it was a 151 page financial document mm-hmm. um and some of the items it included uh were things like local local bribes Local bribes, that classic. They had, they had to pay to people in the kingdom of Morocco. I like your sheet says local brides. Were they, were they <laughs> providing brides as well to the, yeah. to the, the yeah, king? Those, they really want to keep that under <laughs> yeah, wraps. Right. So a thousand cast and crew members worked on this film. Um, is an idea of how many people they're paying. Mm-hmm. Uh, McConaughey was paid the highest. He, he got $8 million for this film, and that's not including bonuses and other compensation, which we do have a breakdown of uh of that of some more of the benefits that he got on top of just eight million dollars mm-hmm. um penelope cruz earned 1.6 million dollars significantly under mcconaughey rain wilson uh, i just thought this was interesting he's not in the film a ton to be fair no ten, he was he he filmed for 10 weeks which and, seems crazy for as much as he's in the film yeah which is, seems like a lot because he's not in it a ton and he only got forty five thousand dollars at this point hmm um, those local uh, uh, bribes we mentioned um, equaled two, $237,000 worth. I just love, like, the gall of them to put bribes in the budget. Right in the budget. Like, you could just say, you could say anything else there that people would, like, understand. When it never s- everyone would just be like, yeah, but no, let's just put bribes. Nah, no one's ever going to see this. <laughs> no one's going to look Don't at worry, this. these are well-kept secrets. <laughs> yeah. No one will sue us and this will come out. <laughs> right. Two other shady items that were included in the budget, the LA Times pointed out, was uh, they had two payments. One was listed as halting river improvements, <laughs> and the other one was a political slash mayoral support. And it mentioned how both of these uh, payments, if it would have been in the U.S., could have been against the law. Yeah. Which is... In very I think the bribery stuff even actually is a violation of some sort of international law too. I'm surprised they weren't sued for that. Yeah. We briefly mentioned earlier, which is probably a detriment to this film, that it had ten screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Uh they were paid altogether three point eight million dollars. A production firm which is owned by a billionaire got twenty million dollars in government incentives to film and edit parts of this movie. Yeah, in Philip Anschutz, he's the guy who who owned part of Regal and wanted to like really push this thing. So he was getting some fat cutbacks. Mm-hmm. I know this art. The article states that uh, one of the big reasons, though, that that eighty million uh, spiraled into literally double 
is um, they had a lot of problems locking in a script. They'll talk about that in the lawsuit when they're when they're fighting with the the author because he had a lot of final say, and um, they were trying to they were constantly doing revisions and he was shooting some down. So I, they must they had a myriad of ideas going in, and there's also a lot of promotion. Uh, there's a lot of production issues due to changes in the script dealing with product placement. Uh, good old product placement. Good old product placement. Effing up your movie. So Chrysler, in, for example, Chrysler negotiated to have Jeeps featured in this film, and uh, they talk about how a producer wrote an email demanding script changes because there was a scene in which a Jeep got stuck in the, in the desert or in the sand or something. And they're like, you can't have a Jeep get stuck. It will make Chrysler look bad. And they're paying us $3 million. <laughs> then there's another part. Which, of, uh, which I think they must have cut out. Because I don't remember seeing a Jeep. Yeah, they did. like Because yeah. they said you can't have that. Chrysler <laughs> will be pissed off. I don't remember seeing any Jeeps like anywhere, though. Elsewhere yeah, that's in the, the film. other weird thing. It's like, uh, I don't really... It didn't seem very obvious. Like, there's a part where it says that... Uh, that uh, tequila and beer companies uh, paid them $5 million for tie-ins. And there's originally a bar scene that got deleted and a producer is fighting against it. Cause they're like, no, we got to have that tequila and beer placement because they paid us a bunch of money. But the, like you said, the interesting thing with all this product placement is even though there's like all these points where they're saying they they have to like feature things prominently in order to get that money. Never when I was watching this film did I really notice excess product no, placement. No, there's like nowhere for... They're in the desert half the time. There's nowhere for product placement to be. But the weird thing, like, is if, like, they're paying three to five million dollars for this, like, product placement that ended up not even being that invasive. Mm-hmm. What the hell did fucking Bud Light pay Transformers <laughs> to get that pu- that product placement... Where there's that scene in, I think that was Age of Extinction. I don't even remember. I don't remember which when, one, yeah. When there's just Bud Light cans all over the ground, labeled blatantly, like clearly in focus, and Marky Mark even pauses to take a swig out of one with the label you facing fuel the camera. Up some Bud Light to fight robots. It's like if these other people in 2005 were paying three to five million and you didn't even fucking notice their product placement, yeah. what did Bud Light pay <laughs> I mean, I to think... take over the movie for a couple seconds? <laughs> I think Michael Bay is just, it's much better at implementing product placement into his films. Yes, yeah, much better. He's uh, just all about it. It's so, you don't even notice it. He's so good. <laughs> so, we talked about uh, the boat scene. Yeah. When we were going through, there's that cool little boat action scene. And thanks to this little, for your guys' information, because I know you're all dying to know this kind of information. <laughs> Uh, we could actually kind of get into the cost of just what like that one scene cost, yeah. which, which is I think interesting. Uh, Steve, you wanna you wanna break down what this scene? Yeah, cost? so we had five boats, which I assume means all of the boats. I don't know if they had multiple versions of the. I assume some were backup boats. Boat, maybe um, I because re- I, I did read that like there's at least one of them was an empty hull to mm, explode. Oh, okay. So we had the five boats. We had boat captains and crews. So the five boats were $1.6 million. Boat captains and crews. So you have your, or I'm sure they had the actors, but then they had to have these, have the guys who could maneuver the boats into position for shooting. Maybe they dressed them as the people on the boats. Maybe not. Um, that was 
thousand dollars for the crew. Uh, stunt players were another two hundred thousand uh, dollars. Boat fuel was one hundred seventy-three thousand dollars alone. That is seems like a lot. That just, is a lot of fuel just to fuel some the boats for one scene. And maybe, I mean, you got to shoot all this stuff in very small parts, especially being an action sequence. So I mean. And maybe I don't know if this even includes like boats they would have used for camera rigging to actually shoot the scene. Uh, maybe some sort of platforms they would have had out in the water for that. Um, like the well, stunt coordinator would have been there too. He was probably already ac- accounted for in the rest of the budget, but that's like double what the stunt uh, players get paid. Then you have the site rental construction is another ninety some hundred grand. Like that's a lot. Like you could do like. Two or three indie films for the for the, the cost, cost of, of this, this one, one scene, one that's seven minutes. Scene. I mean, yeah, I mean, roughly adding that up, you're you're over two million dollars mm-hmm. for this one scene. And that scene, by the way, lasted seven minutes. This is what happens though when you do stuff that's practical special effects and stunts. Uh, you spend a lot of money, but you you're not doing VFX. You do a lot of real stuff, and it's usually turns out a little cooler, but. This is a good example of why VFX has become so prevalent because it's a lot cheaper to do all this stuff with a computer than it is to spend $170,000 on boat fuel. But I just think this is a this is good. It's good to point out for people. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people watch movies like movies, hopefully listening to this podcast. But you don't. A lot of people don't really realize the cost. And this yeah. is just an example for when you could hear, like, how could a film cost $160 yeah, people million? Yeah, like, why do movies cost so much money? You just get some people together and you get a camera and you get, like, a, a microphone and some lights and then you just do the thing. Like, what do you need? What's a gaffer? What do you need? A best boy? What's a best boy? What is this, a wedding? Who is this talking to you? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, like, people who don't. <laughs> That's the common thing. Like, what even is a gaffer? Gaffer uh, deals I just with want lighting, that, by the way. I want that guy to follow everybody around. What is a burger? I mean, what's up with this burger flipping? Yeah. What is, I mean, what is a, what what's, a, pay, what's a fry cook? What I got to pay you seven twenty for you just standing there? What's a sous chef? This isn't a French restaurant. <laughs> this is Steve's new character he's, guess, working, yeah. he's working on. Yeah, this is from <laughs> my stand-up routine of this really angry character who just questions everything. Well, so uh, also looking... Let's looking into uh, how much things cost. Everybody loves to pick apart how much actors get paid. Yeah, they do. Because we all get to feel super inferior. <laughs> so we mentioned that McConaughey made $8 million. But I I, uh, I said how he got some perks, though. Yeah. And those perks, uh, he got almost, he got $834,000 in perks. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money for perks. And his company got two hundred fifty k, which... Uh, just for him to be an, an executive producer which is an important because i don't know how they break it down i don't i'd love to see more details on like the fringes and like if his eight million dollars was all considered acting and like they paid a percentage the percentage to sag that they would would have to because usually like that 250k to this company is like a separate thing so like they don't pay extra fringes on it like they would if he was being paid as an actor um a little bit in the weeds but it's a little little trickery in the budgeting and then the star perks is another thing where you wouldn't necessarily have to pay like any fringes like payroll taxes and other things on that 
And Steve, what did uh for people that are going? Yeah, but what are star perks? It's not just like here's another eight hundred. Right. Yeah. It's not just cutting it. It's not income per se. What uh? What are that those perks? What were those perks? Well, I mean, we you got know, a breakdown. Of you gotta perks. you gotta have your entourage there, right? Yep. So you travel gotta, for you your gotta entourage. Travel your entourage in. Uh, big time stars usually have their own hair and makeup artist, uh, mm. or maybe a makeup artist. Maybe they have you know someone they trust for their uh, skin. Maybe he's got a special Texas. Yep. Uh, His makeup artist got 150k by the yeah. way. Yeah, uh, stunt double, which I I which was Josh Lucas. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't know if I count stunt double as a star perk, unless maybe demanding that they use the one that he picked that he wants. Cause you, I, I guess maybe that would, I guess you consider that a perk. Um, uh, personal assistant, colorist, which colorist, I don't really understand. I don't know if that means colorist as in somebody that drew him beautiful colorings to keep his, <laughs> yes, keep his maybe, mood up. Yes. Maybe that was. No, it's just somebody who's like who's drawing in in black ink. They're just drawing in all these nice things, and then they give it to him and let him color it in. Yeah. They're just pictures of him. They're like portraits of him in black ink that he gets to color in. Um, I don't know if that means a colorist to color correct shots of him or the film. I'm, that one's really weird. Or if there's a colorist for his, I don't know. That, that one I really don't understand. Um, or maybe it's somebody who's in charge of his tanning. There you go. We got I don't it. Know. That could, That's why he was sun tanning. So that much. could be it. Uh, uh, personal trainer, personal chef, stand-in, which is again kind of a weird perk. If unless he has a stand-in that he's like, you have to use this guy is also Josh Lucas. So uh, looking at the other cast, I mean um, Penelope Cruz, like I said, she only got a one point six million. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting thing though is the author. Uh, was actually pushing for Selma Hayek for mm-hmm. this role, but they ended up choosing a, a Cruz, and not for really a great reason. I think she'd be like, I think when you're an actress or an actor, <laughs> you want people to pick you because you know they like you or think you're good. Um, <laughs> yes, they're like, oh, you're good for this role, or good for the character. But they actually picked Cruz over Hayek because uh, Penelope Cruz is Spanish and Selma Hayek is Mexican. And the film qualified for twenty million dollars in cash incentives um, if she was Spanish. If yeah, since and, they filmed in Europe. Yeah, I mean those incentives talk. That's a reason why people shoot in uh, uh, Georgia or other states that have get those the tax backs. credits. Like you get yeah, you get a lot of money back. Um, this is a bit excessive though. She would also get some star perks because she is a star. Mm-hmm. Her perks included things like she got a couple dialect co- coaches. She also had six security guards working twelve-hour shifts. Yeah, that was a little. Which I guess if I you're guess even in if you're a famous star known for being beautiful, yeah. you probably get some creepers. Yeah, that's true. And I think she had a personal her also her own hair uh, hair person that got like a very large chunk of change as well. So uh, Jack Black was actually the first choice for uh, Steve Zahn, but uh, he ended up passing. And uh, Steve Steve Zahn, by the way, got two point two million dollars hmm. for his. He got more than Penelope. Um, plus, he got a three hundred k option and two hundred sixty four k in star perks. A lot less than the other two. Yeah. Uh, when it comes what to the three hundred k option, meant well, whose whose option was that? He's not like an athlete. <laughs> Maybe this is for his his memoir. Maybe no, his maybe book that, option. Maybe that was an option for uh, if they did a sequel, though. Oh, it could be. 
uh, entertaining note I saw from from looking at uh, Steve Zahn's contract is uh, he asked for first first class trip airfare to Morocco, which all right, he's a star. That's a long flight. He probably wants to travel in style. But then he asked for business class for his wife and two kids and their nanny. And you're like, and then he asked for coach tickets for his personal assistant. <laughs> so he got first class for himself, but said, it's okay if my kids and family fly in fucking business and fuck the PA, he's riding in coach. Well, I don't know if I put this on, on Steve. This could have been his agents doing, or it could have been the studio being like, you know what, fine, we'll pay for everyone to fly out here, but we're not putting everyone in first class because that's going to be... Although, with the amount of money they're spending on everything else in this film, like that would have been chump change to just yeah, fly same. them all in first class. That is interesting, though. Like, you, you would think the personal assistant maybe would just get to travel with him because they're probably there the whole time. I'm surprised he didn't. He wasn't like, could I just put him in the carry-on? Yeah. yeah. Could I just, could could I just my, cram him up there? Can he be my checked bag? <laughs> Um, William William Macy uh, got 750k for his role in this movie. Rain Wilson, obviously, we, I mentioned, only got 45. It's a good payday for William H Macy because he's is. not in. He's not doesn't do any of the action scenes. Nope. He's only in a few scenes on the boat and like a nice dinner party and like a office scene. He uh, I like they read in the um, the trivia they said they wanted William H Macy to bring in some indie film cred to, the, <laughs> to this. I was like, what? I mean, he's he's done a lot of indie films, and he's made some indie films as well as a director. But, like, is that what people think? They're like, oh, like William H. Macy gives them some indie cred? I do not think that. I don't think anyone thinks that. Uh, so 4,000 extras were paid $403,000, if you're curious mm. about how much them extras are making. And other cast expenses were listed at $5.9 million. Which I assume must be like other speaking roles. Well, that's the thing, though, is like, like you're in Africa where I don't know. I don't know how the rules apply as far as the union goes. Um, so who knows if they had to pay even like SAG minimums to these. That's They may not even had to be a SAG film if they're overseas. I don't know how that works. but So they could have paid them fuck all for all, you know. Um, but I mean, 5.9 million, there weren't that many extra speaking roles so yeah i don't know i guess you get you got to pay you got to pay in the desert you got to pay to lodge evil warlord evil warlord could be in there uh white greedy bad guy could be in there percival does percival ever have a line percival he doesn't he doesn't have a line i don't think but he could still be in there maybe oh yeah that's probably not maybe he had lines that were cut uh no um and clive cussler by the way the author got 10 million dollars for this movie (laughs) Which I think he ended up having to give most of that back from the lawsuit. But then there was an appeal, and then he was... Uh, there was all sorts of stuff with that. Organize your examination and your notes. We got to look at the line items and the payment a lot more. And I'm sure most of you are like, I really don't care that much how <laughs> yeah. much things cost. Even though it's sort of part of the, this this podcast. Yeah, right. But that's whatever. Like the, the big reason. <laughs> Let's take a look, though... Um, and, uh, well, I guess it's not so much taking a look. It's asking the question, Steve. All right. Well, I want to take a look at the question. Oh. <laughs> what is the question, Matt? <laughs> the question we're going to get to is your favorite question of every episode, Steve. How could this have been prevented? Yeah. How could this have been prevented? Um, I think this one's pretty easy. 
compared to some of the other films, um, they just should have not spent so much money on. Yeah, stupids could yeah, spend like, so much money. They let this thing balloon like. Which I hate this answer because I feel like it's a cop out. This answer. was a bigger balloon than the crazy balloon in Waterworld that they fly to save the day or whatever. Oh, we'd um, take we take it big together. Yeah, taking it back to episode one. Go to iTunes and go back to the back catalog. I feel like that's a cheap answer to be like, just make yeah. it for cheaper. Right. But it just applies to this one so fucking mm-hmm. much. Because like like we covered, the movie did it did an April movie performance. Yeah. And it needed to do more than that because of the budget. Do you think maybe that was part of their thing? It was like, all right, this is like a summer action-y blockbuster, but we've got this April slot. We're going to... We're gonna hit it out of the park. It's gonna be the early. They're gonna be. We're like gonna kick the, off summer. We're early. gonna kick off the blockbuster season, a month early. Maybe they hoped that, but they did not go that way. No, it did not. I mean, if you need it to do that, then the movie needs to be better. Right. Yeah. So how do you? Another way to prevent this: make a fucking better movie. Yeah. Like it's not a terrible movie because it did well enough the first weekend that if it was really good, people would have come back to see it again the next yeah. weekend, and That's it would have it, it would have maybe grown. This is a movie that you watch on TBS. Yes. One night when you're fucking bored. <laughs> you tolerate and, the 75 commercial breaks. Yeah, because you're like, I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> Fuck it. My life's fucking shitty. I guess I'll watch fucking Sahara. I'll get some Papa John's and some Mountain Dew and fucking call it a day. And watch this bullshit. And you're like, you'll probably be fucking looking on your phone like 30%. Yeah, of right. You'll be like, oh, like, I'm going to read the FAQs on this. Well, yeah. This is that kind of movie. Yeah. So, like, if you needed it to do better than an April movie, then it had to be a better movie. Mm-hmm. The movie wasn't good enough to be a breakout. So then you think, okay, it's not this... a franchise starter. No. You think this movie needed to be a summer movie, but I don't even think saving it, moving it to the summer, would have saved this movie. Because mm-hmm. it's, it was, it was just so out of nowhere. Like, maybe people read the book. Like, I mean, these books are supposed to be pretty, like, bestsellers, right? The Clive Cussler is Dirk the, Pitt it's, series. It said they're best, I mean, bestseller in books is not necessarily super hard to get on that list. Yeah. So it doesn't, mis- but, uh, Clive Cussler books dick. But I think the, the thing is, even if you move this to the summer, we're talking about the summer of 2005. And if, uh, we also recently talked about that summer, or not recently, depending on when you Long-time fucking listen to listeners this. would know. Um, stealth in episode three, that movie came out in 2005 and that movie got beat the fuck up by competition (laughs) because April of 2005, uh, when Sahara came out, not super competitive, but things really kicked up in May when star Wars released. And that summer ended up being a pretty busy summer. So this movie, I don't think would have really fared better if you would have moved to the summer, though it would have been interesting. You think if you swap stealth and Sahara, Mm. You think either movie performs better? Maybe. I think uh, I think Stealth. I think Stealth does better. I think Stealth does better in April. Yeah, definitely. Less competition. Yep. Stealth, even though it had a big budget, not as big as Sahara's budget. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if it would have done that, I don't know. I feel like they still they still suffer from the word of mouth problem. That. Oh yeah, Stealth is 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 a worse movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, I don't know if Sahara does better. I think it gets potentially gets you. You have the access to a bigger audience in the summer, but the competition in the summer is so tough. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that with with the cast and the known the non known quantity of 
the Clive Cussler Dirk Pitt adventures. I don't know. I don't know if that... Because who the fuck has heard of Dirk Pitt? That's the thing. It's like... <laughs> like, what the fuck kind of name is Dirk? I've heard of Dirk Pitt when my pits are all sweaty. Oh, my, gosh. My shirt's all dark Dirk from the sweat. Dirk Pitt more like Dirk shit. Oh. I think they were thinking, oh, you know, it's like James Bond. You got all these novels. You can start a big thing. Um, it's kind of like Indiana Jones, but modern day, and it's you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot there that like you could make it into something fun. But it comes if you couldn't control this budget, you had to make a movie that had more to offer than normal affair. But all this did is offer normal affair, and so you got a normal reaction, mm-hmm. and you were fucked. Save an additional sample of blood for typing. All right, so we've uh, talked about uh, ways maybe you could have prevented this, uh, smarter ways, better ways. But uh, let's uh, take a look real quick at the uh, aftermath, the repercussions of this film. The biggest thing with this film has to be the lawsuit with Clive Cussler. I don't know. He seems like a salty fellow. Uh, yeah, he seemed... Yeah. Like, so the backstory, I think we mentioned earlier, he had one... He, he wrote a Dirk Pitt novel called Raising the Titanic. This was before, I think, before the Titanic was even found, actually. Um, and it's about, like them raising the Titanic from the bottom of the ocean. And they made a movie of it in 1980, I guess. Uh, I've never, never really heard of it or seen it. And Clive Cussler was so disgusted by the process that he's like, ah, I don't want anyone, you know, I don't want to uh, give never, the option never my, again. for novels. But so when he was produced by um, Onshuts, you know, he was reluctant, but that's why he was like, I need creative control. I want it say in the story and the director and everything. Um, which I mean, I don't necessarily blame him for wanting that being that, you know, he's created this character and the stories and this is his thing. And there was some pushback as to like working with screenwriters. He wrote a draft and then he worked with some, but they didn't like working with him and said they were hacks and they said he was a hack and there's just like, things got real bad. Um, so what did he, he ended up suing. He sued him because he, he claimed that they, uh, breached contract. He's, they said, uh, they failed to consult him with him on the script mm-hmm. and that they failed to pick up the option for on a second book to do another movie, which that like <laughs> picking up an option is like, you can't breach that in a contract. If it's just an option, I don't, I don't know if there was like a threshold. Maybe there was like a, maybe there was like a monetary number that they had maybe agreed to like, Oh, if the film makes this much money, I don't know. That's just a weird thing to like, to bitch about i don't unless maybe they promised him an option no matter what which then know. wouldn't be an option though <laughs> you just put it in the contract as like we will do another film but uh it turned into a point in a point in game <laughs> the author the author pointed at them and said you yeah. fucked up this movie mm-hmm. and this you're the reason why the movie tanked and then the producers pointed right back they countersued him and they said it was his fault the movie tanked and said that he did have control and he rejected a bunch of script uh, revisions mm. and that he attacked the film and media before it was ever Which released. Which he did, yeah. Yeah, he went he went out of his way to like talk shit about it before it even came out. Which uh, we is kind of a recurring theme in these bombs. Like mm-hmm. Waterworld also had that problem where it was getting bad press before the movie even came yeah. out. But uh, how'd that lawsuit turn out for him? Well, he was ordered to pay the producers five million in damages and then said that they didn't have to pay eight and a half million for the next book option and then 14 million in legal fees uh, but then that was overturned in an appeal 
and he tried to go back to court to get the option again. So I I think he ended up still keeping his his ten million that he got paid. He and yeah. didn't end up having to pay them anything extra. But he didn't get any of the stuff he was he was seeing. right, and uh, he almost got effed real bad. He was lucky that appeal went his way. Yeah, no kidding. It's like oh man. For looking at the other people following in the wake of this film, uh, McConaughey. I think we all know what happens with McConaughey. Uh, yeah, no, we, I mean, reconnaissance. We've already referenced that at least once in the, in the other podcast. So right after right after this movie, uh, McConaughey would go on to make Failure to Launch, Oof. Uh, which is about erectile dysfunction. It'll um, give you erectile dysfunction. He made We Are Marshall. He made the terrible movie Fool's Gold. And then he made Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. And then McConaughey said... I'm tired of being in these shitty bargain bin movies. And he, the reconnaissance begun. He reinvented himself. He got dramatic roles. I mean, he had, but he did have some good roles prior to those shit, but it, it was kind of lost. He was in Steve's favorite film, The Lincoln Lawyer. I <laughs> do love The Lincoln Lawyer. Also uh, based on a novel. That was in 2011. He was in Bernie. Bernie black... is fantastic. Yeah. Love that movie. That was in 2011. Uh, he starred in Mud in 2012. Also really good. Yep. Love that director. Um, Dallas. Oh, well, love is strong, but I like I like his stuff. I don't want to say I love him. <laughs> yeah, right now. he's gonna come out with That'd a real stinker. Steve over here won't advocate love. Love is a powerful <laughs> word. All right, you don't use that. <laughs> Dallas. He, came, he was in Dallas Buyers Club in 2013, which he won an Oscar for. Right. right. And then he burned up t- the TV. With a true detective and Interstellar, also was all both of those were in 2014. Yeah, so McConaughey was just like, Fuck you, Sahara or Sahara. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'll rattle, rattle. You know, to be fair to him though, he really uh gave his all for that movie. He did. Um, did, did you read about the the tour he went on where he like had his own trailer and like put shit on the sides of it to advertise and drove cross country and screened the movie at. Uh, at army bases or naval bases, or he was doing screenings. He was really and pushing, he was and the, he gave like, his all in the movie too. Yeah, he did most of his own stunts. He did as many stunts as they would let him do, actually. Um, so I mean, I you know, I I don't blame him for the failure of the film. That's for no, sure. and it proved it showed that he was you know because he he escaped this easily. Yeah, um, and he he proved his worth later on. Director uh, Breck Eisner, however, would never direct a movie again. Again, man, that happens a lot. Yeah. But oh, I, wait. I bet. I bet. Uh, people listening are debating right now. Yeah, they're like, are, he always is he serious? Says this. Is he just fucking with me? Because how many of you knew who Breck Eisner is? That's a good point. Uh, he did end up directing how, again. How many of you know a person named Breck? If you do, like. If you do, raise your hands and send us a tweet of you raising your hand. Tweet us and tag your friend Breck. (laughs) We'll tell him his name sucks. Uh, no don't do that uh we we need all the listeners actually, yeah we get. need as much attention whether we have to just like ad hominem attack people on twitter <laughs> um no uh, what did he do he, he did directed uh, oh yeah the crazies i, I remember remake. seeing that uh with Tim- timothy oliphant yeah and uh that movie was a modest success it earned 54 million on a almost 55 million on a 20 million dollar budget and then he tried to keep his a comeback a train rolling <laughs> And he directed uh, The Last Witch Hunter in 2015, starring Vin Diesel. 
and that film didn't do so well. It made 147 million on 90 on a 90 million dollar budget, though. Yeah. But it got very poor reviews, and uh, I don't. I think a sequel was hoped for, but in doubt now. Yeah. And so, uh, that's uh, that is the last update on old old brick. Maybe he went back to commercials. Maybe went back to the old. Uh, maybe he direct, Maybe he directed those. Uh, it's a tide commercials for the Super Bowl. I missed the Super Bowl. Well, fuck off. <laughs> Penelope Cruz, meanwhile, tried to escape a, a Sahara stink by doing one of the best things you could possibly do to escape a bad bomb. She started earning Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. In 2006, right a year after uh, Sahara, she starred in Volver, which was nominated for dozens of awards, uh, her performance was. And uh, she was the first Spanish woman to ever be nominated for Best Actress mm. at the Academy Awards. Two years later, uh, she did. W- she actually won an Oscar, and it was for Best Supporting Actor in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yep. Which is a Woody Allen movie I've never fucking heard of. Yeah, I mean, he makes one every year, so that was just one of the ones he made. Well, uh, she would end up winning an Oscar again in 2009. So, yeah, she... She, uh, Penelope Cruz followed this movie up with pretty much three Oscar nominations pretty much in a row. There was yeah, like one year gap in but there. But then she was in Sex and the City 2. So, so that, that, <laughs> that took away all credentials. <laughs> yeah, and then... Uh, so looking uh, on the other so actors... She re- she, now, this was just a little blip on the radar film for her. Yeah, she completely well, blew think, this movie out I of the... I think that's part no of the... thinking about Part it. of the thing, though, is that the movie is not that bad, that like it's not going to... It leave that bad of a taste in people's mouths. Be like, oh man, I fucking hate McConaughey. No, it didn't drag anybody. Even uh, even uh, Rain Wilson. If you're wondering what happened to Rain Wilson after this movie, well, uh, Rain Wilson, the little sh- he was on this little show called The Office, and it started. <laughs> I never heard of that. It started two weeks before Sahara came out, and then it became the fucking Office, mm-hmm. and so he was fine. Uh, interesting though is that uh, Steve Zahn, Steve Zahn. I forgot. Which I think one it's Steve Zahn. He uh, I've always said Zahn. He continued to be Steve Zahn and continued to play Steve Zahn types. Very consistent. But he uh, he did appear again in a McConaughey movie. He was in Dallas, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Hmm. Which uh, they they little teamed up again. That's sweet. I mean they they weren't like a terrible combo either. I would watch them in a movie no. again. They were better than uh, Tom Cruise and Jake Johnson. Yes, absolutely. Way better. <laughs> Oh, old guy talking about <laughs> autopsies. What wounds were fatal? Uh, the budget. Like, totally it was the budget. Like, you don't spend double what you were originally planning being idiots and bribing, <laughs> bribing people and uh, wasting money on scenes that you cut that are 20 seconds long. Though that's... That's tough. Well, no, it's not that tough. If you just had a better plan and the script that you really liked and st- stopped changing everything and then like, oh, product placement, uh, I think you save some money and you make some money and maybe, I think if you have a better film, you make some more money, but if you just don't spend a ton and the film's kind of mediocre, but you make enough that maybe it warrants a sequel, then you get something going, but yeah, nope. Because it wasn't, it wasn't the worst movie that no. we said. It was it was a movie. It was a, t- the, it was like a the TBS produ- movie. The production value was good. Like mm-hmm. it looked good. There was a lot of cool shots, a lot of great uh, stunts and special effects. Um, 
it wasn't like terrible uh, in that aspect. It looked like a blockbuster. Like it looked like it what they spent money on. Uh, they just should have been a little smarter on it, being that it's a film with little to really go on than other than people seeing it and like, hey, I like that. No, I agree. I think uh, I think when we're looking at our our final cause of death paperwork, they're gonna see the same thing. I think the budget is what killed this movie. Uh, it was just too fucking much. And I think the perfect way to... I think this movie references in itself. Mm. The perfect summary um, is in the movie. In this movie, we I, we talked about McConaughey and, and Stizan are they're, they're, chain, they're handcuffed to a pickup truck. And uh, that pickup truck is the budget. Mm. And they are the movie. And they're... It's a very difficult trip across the desert. It's already difficult to be a successful movie. Yeah. And that's them trying to get across this desert. It's even more difficult when you're fucking burdened by a goddamn giant budget, which is that pickup truck bed. So, you know, these two dudes are dying in the desert, and they're saying, if only we didn't have to expend so much goddamn energy trying to overcome this burden we're chained to. So the movie was being very meta. Yeah, it was very deep. It's very deep. Maybe that scene was shot near the end. Like, oh, this is a great metaphor for this film when it flops. And flop it did. Flop it did. Flop it did. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AT Report Pod. Smash those shares and likes, and if you throw in a tweet, Steve will send you a racist pic. And while you're on iTunes, don't forget to leave us a review. Five stars, preferably. Reviews show us your love, and we all just want to be, want to be loved. But don't stray too far. Next time, we'll throw another movie on the slab right here on The Autopsy Report. So, I'm going to try something out. I don't know if this is going to work. Is this going to be a movie plot Mad Lib? Maybe. All we're right. Gonna, we're going to build our own adventure film. All right. So, Steve, I want you to give me the name of a a tough-sounding action hero's name. Rex Buffington. Turns out he's actually 130 pounds. <laughs> now, I want you to give, you, give me an occupation. Pilot. Another occupation. Bodybuilder. A item. Let me definitely not look around your apartment. There's nothing exciting in here. A pizza cutter. I didn't even have one of those. Yes, you definitely didn't yes, see that. Yes, you do. It's right up there. <laughs> oh, I do have a pizza cutter. Look at that. <laughs> Give me a location. New Zealand. Stamp collecting. Nambla. Fork. Uh, a Korean nail salon owner. Lovingly. Irritated. Give me an onomatopoeia. Flim flam. <laughs> what is that even an onomatopoeia for? I don't know. Gravity. Seventh. Salty. Here's the description for our new, the new adventure film coming out soon. All right. Rex Buffington is a pilot by day and a bodybuilder by night. I like this. But when he gets a tip about a lost pizza cutter hidden in New Zealand, he'll set aside his quiet life of stamp collecting to stop Nambla, even if it means having to fork them. Gaining the trust of a Korean nail salon <laughs> owner, our hero must lovingly save the day or live forever in irritation. <laughs> and here's the tagline. 
Flim flam. <laughs> it's a race against gravity. And if you're not seventh, then you're dead salty. <laughs> oh man, where do I <laughs> where do I send my money? I wanna buy a ticket to that right now.